BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. So if you screw up, um, don't screw keep up. going. Don't screw up, number one. <laughs> number two, up, if you then. do screw up, keep going. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, it's our Friday roundup of the week's top political stories, including one last debate in the U.S. Senate race, which polls show having one clear leader and a real battle for second place. Also, we have a very clear leader in raising campaign cash in that Senate race. And here with me, as she is most Fridays, KQD's Marisa Lagos. Hey, Marisa. Hey. So um, one of the things that we've touched on over the past few months uh, is how having two women senators uh, for three decades, Barbara Boxer, who retired a few years ago, Dianne Feinstein, who, of course, died last year. And then, you know, there is a chance now going forward that California might soon have two male senators, which, of course, would be a huge change. Right. Right. the last uh, 30 or so years. And as it happens, Los Angeles Times reporter Benjamin Oreskes has been writing about that this week, and he's with us right now. Hey, Ben. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here with the political A-team of public radio. Oh, well, thank All you. Right. Well, we'll thank take you it. So Compliments will get you everywhere. So let's talk about that article. And I'm going to begin just by reading uh, the, the headline, which is... Uh, California's streak of female senators may be ending and women appear to be a reason. Discuss. What do you mean? (laughs) Let's cast our mind back to 2018 uh, when suburban women in particular, angered by Donald Trump, helped Democrats take back the House of Representatives. We saw this in California, most particularly in Orange County, in Katie Porter's district, where she won as a first time uh, candidate. And uh, similarly with Katie Hill in in the suburbs of uh, of Los Angeles. And these races were really about a coalition of voters uh, married with sort of center-right Republicans who were disgusted by Trump coming out angry about, you know, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and things like that. And it sort of led Katie Porter and others to national prominence. They were first-time candidates. They weren't your normal candidates who had come up through party systems. And and they became stars. And so fast forward to now, you have Katie Porter running for Senate. And what we're seeing in all the publicly available polling, in the endorsements, and really in what is playing out in the weeks before Election Day is that that same coalition has not come together. And the reason partially is because of the strength of someone like Adam Schiff, who has national political chops and is able to sort of create a bulk work against something that had been very effective in the years after Trump was elected. 
But also, we have people like Nancy Pelosi endorsing Schiff, right. I mean, and, and Barbara Boxer, for that matter. I mean, this is what struck me, and the reason Ben's on the show, full disclosure, is I saw the story and was like, I'm so glad someone wrote this story because we've been having this conversation that is wild to see. And and again, like it's it's everything can't be about identity politics. But when you have a state like this where 1992, when Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein were elected, was called the Year of the Woman, 2018 was sort of the second coming of the Year of the Woman, you have Nancy Pelosi, first ever female Speaker of the House. Um, a lot of her sort of contemporaries, like Anna Eshoo, who's stepping down, um, others, you know, I was surprised when sort of across the board, we've seen not just Adam Schiff get endorsed in those, you know, by the, a lot of those politicians, but, you know, when Jackie Spears stepped down uh, a couple of years ago, she endorsed Kevin Mullen. Yeah, it's been sort of a cascade of women being replaced by... Yeah, Anna Eshoo just endorsed Joe Simidian in the South Bay. So it just feels like it's an interesting moment. And a lot of these people who really, you know, built their careers around this idea of the importance of representation feel, you know, they would say that there's other things you should consider, too. Well, and Ben, I wonder what your thoughts are, too, because this is coming at a time when abortion is a huge issue for Democrats. We've just seen it again this past week with the Alabama State Supreme Court uh, banning or saying that, uh, you know, uh, I've IVF treatments are, you know, babies, essentially embryos. So why do you think that isn't accruing to the advantage of women candidates? I think there are two reasons. Let's talk about Schiff and his support with women. It's one, let's talk about groups like Emily's List, like Planned Parenthood. They have stayed out of this race. Kamala Harris, one of the most prominent female politicians in the country. Anna Katie Porter supporter in 2018. Anna Katie Porter supporter in 2018. They have been... Nowhere to be found in a tough Democratic or or a tough nonpartisan primary full of BAFO Democrats. They are not weighing in. They're sitting on the fence. So that's one thing. I think another thing I heard in reporting out this story and in talking to voters and the sort of political insiders we all know was that a lot of people watched Adam Schiff go up against Trump in terms of impeachment, in terms of being on the Intelligence Committee and on the and the January 6th Committee. And we're so enamored by his performance and and his sort of eloquence in the face of someone who many of these women view as a despot uh, and and feel like in a moment of time where things are so fragile, his sort of forcefulness um, in terms of his rhetoric and his canniness as a former prosecutor, as a long serving member of the House will come in handy when these fights around reproductive rights uh, and any number of issues come to a head in the next coming years, whether or not Trump wins again. So right. I think like they see him may... as the fighter that can take it to the Republicans, regardless of his gender. Exactly. And he has the cred among women uh, on all these fronts. His views on reproductive rights are not in doubt. You, you know, none of these candidates are. And that's important as well. But we have to acknowledge that at least in this race, there's something else. And I think in all of them, which is relationships. And you know, when you look at and again, like maybe let's not just pick on Adam Schiff and Katie Porter. But I do think Porter came in as an outsider. She's burnished that image. She has not worked very hard to build those relationships in Congress because she wants to be a little bit of a naysayer in a lot of those situations. I I think, you know, similarly, you see, you know, Anna Eshoo endorsing Joe Samidian in the South Bay here. 
they've known each other for decades, right? So there's definitely Kevin Mullen, I think Jackie Spear, you know, he I think he worked in her office. Like, so relationships do matter. I just think it's interesting because it does feel like Democratic women are happy to use the sort of like identity card when it's helpful, but are definitely getting a little frustrated when we all ask them, then why aren't you endorsing a Democratic yeah, woman exactly. in this race? But Ben, I want to really quote Barbara Boxer in your story, too. And this is right at the end of the piece. And you quote her saying, Katie is saying she wants to shake up the Senate. Well, the Senate has never been more shook up than it is now. And then she adds, it's like a milkshake gone bad. Um, And then she adds for, you know, just one more little stab here. I don't like holier than thou people. I hate that. Like, so what do you what do you make of that? You know, this whole idea that maybe what people want is a little more stability, a little more normalcy if there is such a thing. Well, Barbara Boxer's living her best life uh, in retirement out in the (laughs) out in the desert, helping you know, yeah, near Palm Springs. Notably, though, helping a guy run against Ken Calvert in a frontline siege. She likes to talk about that. I I think that there's another piece of that that you didn't quote that's very significant. She described Adam Schiff as like a son, and Barbara Lee as like a sister. It is why she had stayed out of this race. Until now. And so when we're talking about those relationships, we're also talking about a Katie Porter, as Marisa said, who has not done a lot to kind of cultivate those relationships, but has done something else. She's running against the institution. She's running a campaign that is really about generational change, but also about look at this guy in Adam Schiff. He's been here for decades. It's only gotten worse in many respects. Inequality is worse. The housing crisis is worse. Homelessness is worse. I am the one who's going to make change. And that rubs people the wrong way. It certainly rubs Nancy Pelosi the wrong way. And it certainly rubs a lot of their Democratic colleagues in the House the wrong way. But I don't know that it rubs voters the wrong way. Schiff is leading with with women, but but not by a ton in the latest PPIC poll. And I do think that's an a potential opening for Porter if she can connect with women. Absolutely. We don't want to write her off. I mean, she's very close. No, certainly in, not. In, oh, yeah. In recent she might make the top two. Yeah. Ab- she absolutely could. And, you know, and in fairness, Barbara Lee also ran saying we need more women and especially black women in the U.S. Senate. And her campaign is not really caught on either. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, KQED's Guy Marzarati will join the conversation. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos and Los Angeles Times reporter Ben Oreskes. Also joining us is KQED politics correspondent Guy Marzarati. Hey, Guy. 
Hey, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the key aspects of this primary, which is turnout. Um, you know, I always say that elections are about who votes. Uh, if people are really motivated, then you have a bigger turnout. And I know, Guy, you've been looking at some of these numbers um, in terms of, uh, the, you know, our friend Paul Mitchell kind of tracks all the return ballots. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, we get these daily updates, Political Data Inc. sends out. And look, the turnout at this point is shaping up to be pretty low. And I think that we're seeing just in terms of early returns, and there's huge caveats with this as far as the reliability of the data and just the shifting trends that we've seen over time with who sends in ballots when. But we are seeing Republicans overperform in terms of sending their ballots back. And that is a shift from you know, the the history under Donald Trump where Republicans have moved away from mail balloting. If that holds, you could end up in a scenario where Republicans are overperforming right now, sending ballots back. And then if they turn out to be voting in higher numbers on Election Day itself, as we've seen in recent elections, that could really shake up, I think, the landscape, not only in the Senate race, but a lot of down ballot races where we might expect to see two Democrats in a top two primary. And you're going to see some broken hearts on the Democratic side. Yeah, I talked yesterday uh, with uh, Mark Baldessari, who runs the PPIC poll. And he was saying in general, he's just noticing this interesting kind of enthusiasm gap, not just among Democrats, but among all voters. Like on the one hand, people say this is one of the most important election years of our lifetime. And on the other hand, they're like not very excited. I think because you have a rematch of two presidential candidates. And so I do wonder, like, you know, this, as Guy points out, really does have the potential to shape the contours of who makes it to the top two. But I do wonder if Democrats are going to find a little bit of fire under their feet as we approach November. Yeah. And they may feel also maybe the March primary, it's maybe a little early to get all excited. Uh, But, you know, we were talking, uh, Marisa, you and I yesterday with Katie Porter. She was on Political Breakdown. She's essentially tied for second place with the Republican Steve Garvey. And, you know, she made the case this way for her being in the November runoff rather than Steve Garvey. If we don't have a competitive election between two vibrant, strong Democratic candidates all the way through November, we will not have the turnout that we need in California to win back the House of Representatives, to win in key areas, to stand up to some kind of these hateful school board um, policies that we're seeing around forced outing and book banning. Ben, what do you make of that, that notion, that sort of theory that, hey, if it's, say, Garvey and Schiff, it's essentially going to be over because, you know, statewide Republicans just don't win. And therefore, you know, Democrats may not feel they have much of a stake. It's a compelling one. It's one that some Democrats, you know, in leadership in the House, Democrats who are thinking about these competitive races are skeptical about for a different reason, which is about money. tens of millions of dollars are being spent on this race right now. And among people who are doing national fundraising, there's a sort of agita about that. Because at the end of the day, let's remember, if we get Barbara Lee, if we get Katie Porter, if we get Adam Schiff, we're not getting a hugely different candidate. And their fear is that in a head-to-head between Katie Porter and Adam Schiff, where tens of millions of dollars need to be spent, that's money that's not going into Orange County congressional races. It's not going to Reno, you know, races in Nevada or Arizona. So I think that cuts both ways where, yes, you might see growing enthusiasm, but you might see dollars that money that could have gone other places not being spent in the places where it really counts in the Central Valley and suburbs of L.A. Or, or on County. the Biden campaign and other swing or states, on the right? Biden campaign. I mean, yeah. yeah. On the other hand, I would say as a voter and as, you know, in a state where we really haven't had a truly open Senate race yeah. in my adult lifetime, there's an argument, I think, just for like 
that it would be a better better for democracy, essentially better for voters and better that, for journalists Let's and better for <laughs> journalists. Although then we're going to be getting a lot more angry phone calls because these campaigns are already getting aggressive. But you know, just this idea that have people really tuned into this? Have these candidates been fully vetted? And you know, because often having a competitive race between two members of the same party means they push each other in ways yeah. and and really flesh out their positions on things. You know, in ways that I don't think Schiff will be forced to if he's facing Steve Garvey and it looks like a potential route. Oh, and, and I mean, if I could just add one thing, the idea that, uh, to quote the Rebecca Traster story about this race, there's a buffet of choices. There, It's like a true choice, even if it's not about necessarily policy difference, it's like a vibe. It's a value set that will be different. And, and that's a benefit to voters. I agree. Guy, you were going to jump in? Yeah, just, you know, for obviously Katie Porter uh, is an interested party in rolling out that theory. But I also think she comes at it from a perspective of wanting more runway uh, in this race to draw a contrast with Schiff. Look, I think if you ran this Senate race in a simulation 100 times, this is probably like a bottom 5% outcome for Porter, just in terms of the issue environment. Like, what have we been talking about? What have Democrats been talking about for the last six months? It's Trump's reemergence as the GOP nominee and the war in Gaza. And neither of those issues naturally fit Katie Porter as a candidate. Add on top of that Garvey's, you know, progress in consolidating the Republican vote, shifts uh, financial advantages, the potential issues that we're talking about with progressives and turnouts. And there's just so much that has gone against Katie Porter in this primary. And yet she's, you know, right there potentially in the top two. And I, so I think she's imagining a world in a general election. Who knows what will be the issues driving the conversation in the next six months? Yeah. And Marisa, you know, if it does turn out to be Porter and Schiff, you know, Trump has really been attacking Schiff. And you, you have to wonder if, you know, we don't know how big the turnout would be among Republicans in November, but they might vote for Katie Porter, kind of like they did for Kevin DeLeon against Feinstein, not because they like her, but because they don't like Adam Schiff. Absolutely. That I've been sort of thinking about that. I mean, before we knew Garvey was going to get in that, I was wondering about this in the primary. Adam Schiff is really sort of like the meme of a, the Democratic resistance. I mean, he has spent so much time on MSNBC over the last seven years, which is why I think you see this broad base of support that does include a lot of more progressive folks who maybe would find a more natural home with Porter. But I do think Porter has that kind of populist angle and she's not seen as quite the foil to Trump. So I think certainly with more conservative independent voters, she has got a case to make um, and potentially with some Republicans as well. Yeah. And we should say, you know, just you mentioned the cash. I mean, uh, Guy, you were looking at the numbers for the campaign cash, the disclosure deadline just uh, uh, just came up, and God, Schiff has uh, over 13, almost $14 million left. That is more than twice as much as all the other four or top three combined, twice as much. So uh, we're only going to see more of him on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I mean, and more of Garvey. And more of Garvey. <laughs> Garvey. Garvey along with him. Yeah, I know. It's overwhelming. I mean, you think about just in this window of January 1st to Valentine's Day, when these candidates, honestly, look, the, the campaign had been going on, but voters have not started to really pay attention. Just in that window, Schiff spent $25 million. And, and just so the, the you can't, I think, understate just that overwhelming financial. I mean, advantage. I know I'm one of the few people that watches real TV anymore. But if you watch any of the cable news channels right now in California, every other ad is Porter or Schiff. It yeah. is like blanketing the airwaves. Well, we haven't talked much about at all, really, about Steve Garvey. And of course, you know, Garvey had a really successful career as a major league baseball player first with the Dodgers. And I should mention, Ben, you've got a New York Yankees hat on, but uh, we'll leave that there. Also with the with the Padres. And, you know, he's never run for the office Padres. before. And 
unlike Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, of course, was a big Hollywood star when he first ran for governor, Garvey, well, let's just say he's displayed very little command of the issues. I think that's fair to say. In these debates, he's often uh, called out, in fact, by the debate moderators for not even answering questions. And sometimes, Marisa, he just seems intent on kind of running out the clock. You know, they'll say, do you have anything to say, Mr. Garvey? He'll say, no. (laughs) But there was something that he said at the end of the debate on Tuesday that we just have to pull out and play for you. This This is really kind of a gem. This is Steve Garvey in his closing pitch to voters. Tonight was a night where I'm putting my heart and soul into your mind and body because I want to represent you for six years. Are there like, you know, consent issues there? Is that, <laughs> is that no means no? I mean, you know, yeah. that was just odd. But, you know, in keeping with his kind of word salad that he's we've heard from him. A lot of word salad. I mean, I think, in, you know, he, this is not a trained politician. He's never ostensibly done debates before. I think the challenge is if you're really looking and, and you want a more conservative champion, like you said, it's not just statements like that. It's like the inability to articulate actual policy positions that that is, you know, really sets him apart from the other people on that stage, regardless of whether you agree with what they're saying or not. Yeah, I mean, there's the the uncharitable view here is, look, the man is just simply unprepared for a debate stage and is resorting to basically reciting the lyrics of Bump and Grind in a U.S. Senate debate. <laughs> the flip side of that, <laughs> though, I, I doubt think he knows the. Yeah, song, but okay. But the but the char- maybe the more charitable view is Garvey's in a place a lot of Republicans are kind of caught between the Reagan and Trump eras. He talks about look, he he's from the Reagan era of conservatism. He talks about you know wanting to meet with the ninety nine other senators if he takes office and being a convener, being someone who brings together compromises. But yet, when he was asked about the immigration bill that was a bipartisan compromise in the U.S. Senate, he said there's no way that he would vote for it. So I think you see him kind of caught between these two, these shifting eras uh, in the Republican Party, if I'm going to be more charitable. And you see that, you know, as he still kind of struggles to consolidate all the Republican votes uh, in this primary. All right. Before we wrap up, Ben, what are you going to be looking for in these final uh, week plus? I think that with Garvey, the essential thing about him is something that one of the consultants for one of the Democratic candidates said to me after the second debate where he could not name a housing regulation he wanted to cut. We all were sort of batting our heads, being like, what is he talking about? Just make one one up, Just make one up. Say CEQA. We all know what that is. (laughs) Um, One of the, I was talking to one of the consultants and said, man, that guy looks good on TV. (laughs) And that may be enough in a state where there are, you know, several million uh, Republican voters, if he can just pull that all together, the balkanization of Democratic voters right now may be enough to squeak through. But Plus, to, we're the only I ones ha- watching the debate. <laughs> and to Guy's point, he does. I think he does have Ronald Reagan's tailor, or at least clothing and, store. And, and tie and tie knot. Um, and <laughs> but 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 to that point, I think that whatever you know, assent that Porter can sort of muster in these last weeks. It's not like she has no money. She has several million dollars that she will put on the air. And there are tons of her ads, even as she's being attacked by super PAC groups. I have to wonder whether Garvey not saying anything is much more of a plan than we are giving him credit for. Yeah. And we will find out how that plan goes in, uh, I don't know, 10 days or so. Ben Reskis from the Los Angeles Times. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. And also thanks to Guy Marzarati and Marisa Lagos. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy weekend. Have a great weekend. That is a wrap for Friday, February 23rd. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Jim Bennett. Our producer is Izzy Bloom, birthday girl. Our team includes Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, Molly Solomon, Otis R. Taylor Jr., and Ethan Tovin Lindsay. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. 
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.